fun. Christmas, yeah. But something clicked. Something clicked and I got that I was in victimhood. I was consumed with how shit my life was and that nobody had it more shit than me. Or maybe there were some others, but like, poor me. And something snapped in a good way. And I thought, okay, actually, I have just been like plucked out of my own BS. I've been swimming in this for quite a while now. It's time. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast, Karen. Thank you. I'm so keen to get you on. I've heard James has spoken so much about you um, in all the time I've known him and spoken so highly. So I'm really keen to get you on and tell the audience a little bit more about you and then delve in and learn a little bit more around your journey and, and how you've come to where you are today. Amazing. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Karen Dwyer is the founder of ms to success a health and wellness program for people living with multiple sclerosis. Karen is on a mission to share with others what she discovered when living with MS and through her own journey back to health while raising a family. Karen was named as the top female entrepreneur to watch in 2019 by Iconic Offices and was nominated as one of Ireland's most inspiring wellness entrepreneurs in the Graham Norton Ginn Inspiring Awards in 2019. She had her first entrepreneurial journey in 2004 on a Channel 4 program called Make Me a Million, where she co-founded a multi-million pound children's cosmetics company and was the first to create a no-nasties product for children. Her career included luxury retail management, media sales management, and manager of Sunshine Radio before she harnessed her business skills and experiences into her wellness enterprise. Karen has shared her experience and journey globally through multiple television and podcast appearances. She was also awarded the Gold Stevie Award for Women in Business in 2021 and was the 2021-2022 Republic of Ireland Award winner. In her podcast, Talk Healing to Me, Karen sits down with global experts around her journey of reversing multiple sclerosis. Karen has also recorded a TED Talk about her journey, that it, which is now sitting at over 135,000 views. I wanted to get Karen on the podcast to discuss how you can still build your life and career when faced through adversity and through health challenges. I grew up personally having two parents with chronic pain conditions and a father with PTSD. And so I really wanted to dig deep because I know chronic illness is something that touches so many that people don't often share. And I was saying to Karen before we started this episode, I was fortunate enough of having coffee with two of my clients recently, silently going through their own battle with multiple sclerosis, who shared their own journey and how sometimes it can be quite lonely. Uh, I wanted I knew that this episode would inspire those people. So I wanted you to share with us, Karen, a bit a bit more around your journey prior to dog diagnosis and how that all shifted for you when you did find out about the diagnosis. Yeah, great question. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting <laughs> me. Um, so before the diagnosis, I had just gotten engaged. My career was going really, really well. I was managing a radio station at the time. Um, I had just had a baby. And it was my second daughter. And so, like, life was good. Um, you know, I felt like things were, you know, on the up because I'd been a single mom for quite a while. And, you know, I'd bought my own property. I'd worked really hard and yeah. I'd worked my way up the ladder. And it was like, huh, okay, 
things are going well. And then I had some stressful events uh, occur. And I hear this very often with clients as well. There's there's often, not all the time, mm. but there's often a stressful event that will trigger mm. the onset. Or maybe there might have been like smaller little inklings of they were MS symptoms. And when I look back now, I probably had it for about 10 or 15 years before I was actually wow. diagnosed. But I didn't know what it was at the time. Mm. Um so your life was really good at managing a radio station. When I say manage, I was managing sales and marketing for a radio station. I took them from, you know, being in the red to uh, being a profitable radio station. And I loved it. I loved, I always loved working with people. And it's mm. funny, even though I worked in that domain, it was always about helping the individual or getting interested in their life and yeah. helping them out and helping them succeed on their own personal goals. And then that in turn always helped the business. But it was funny. Um because I'd have more of an interest in the people than in the company. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's probably not the best thing to say, but it worked because people felt heard and seen, you know. Um, and then, of course, I, I started getting numbness in my uh, right hand and two fingers. And I thought, that's a bit strange. It started going up my arm. Mm. So I took myself to the hospital and the doctor said, look, unless it's something sinister, uh, you've probably slept on it funny or whatever it might be. But because he could see that I wasn't, really satisfied with that. And I think, you know, when your gut, when there's something wrong. Yes. So he said, look, we'll bring you back in for an outpatient appointment. Mm. I thought, okay, fine. So I go home and over the next few days, I remember getting out of the shower and I was drying my hair. And I remember the heat on my head. Well, on one side of my head, because on the other, I couldn't feel it. So I remember turning the hairdryer off and I'm touching my head and then I'm frantically touching the whole side of my body and I couldn't feel anything. Oh. And I was thinking, am I having a stroke? Or am I? And then you're also questioning yourself going, I, is this actually happening? Am I just making this up? So I'm like yeah. kind of pinching myself and I could still feel the sensation, but mm. not as deeply as the other side of my body. So I thought, oh, okay, I, mm. I've got to go back to the hospital. So I silently packed a bag because I knew I was going to be staying in. I didn't know what for. And this time they took me down for an MRI straight away. Mm. And I remember being wheeled back in a wheelchair uh, in a gown and they wheeled me into a smaller room mm. than I was in before. And I thought, okay, right, this is, this is serious. And I remember the doctor coming in, he was like really well-dressed in a three-piece suit. He actually looked like um, a Santa Claus in, <laughs> in normal daily yeah, life. Yeah, okay, gotcha. A well-dressed one. And he said, Karen, the number of lesions on your brain would be normal for an 80-year-old. And I was 30 or maybe <gasps> just 31. Yeah. Um, and I had a massive one on my spine. So he explained to me that the lesion on the left-hand side of my spine was affecting the right-hand side of my body mm. and that my brain was lit up with lesions. Mm. So they kept me in for a steroid uh, IV and I spent the next three or four years in and out of hospital. Like I had, a, had an acute swelling on my brain, had acute labyrinthitis, I had a liver count ten, seven times higher than it should have been. Like it was tough. fairly tough. Mm. Yeah, I think, do you know what the toughest thing when I think back to those memories is? Because you're, you're, you're almost handing over sovereignty to, mm. you know, doctors, the medical system, because I didn't know what multiple sclerosis was when I was diagnosed. And my only vision of it was somebody in a wheelchair. And mm. I remember thinking, how long have I got until I'm in a wheelchair? Like, I, that's how, you know, ignorant, I'm not going to say ignorant because I don't want to beat myself up, but I, I just wasn't aware. Mm. So, um, I approached Dr. Google, which is always a mistake. <laughs> never, never do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> awful. It's so, horrible. I came away a lot more scared than inspired. And uh, yeah, so the, my my kind of memory that I, I I find nearly upsetting is when like I used to have to inject myself. 
And I didn't want my kids to see me doing that. So I used to lock the kitchen door so nobody would come in and I'd be holding the thing up and flicking it, making sure there's no things. And I'd be like, oh my God. And I'd be counting down and then I'd count down again because I didn't do it that time. And and then I'd, I just had so many and I had so many side effects. Not everyone does. I did. And mm. oh God, it was just awful. Because I used to take those ones once a week. Yeah. So Monday to Friday and work, I'd be great. Yeah. And then Friday evening when everybody else was going home, I was delaying it. I was staying back and seven o'clock, my partner at the time was calling me going, are you coming home? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be home in a while. Because I knew that I had to take that injection. I knew the side effects meant I'd flu symptoms. I'd be debilitatingly tired. <sighs> um, and I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And fair enough, you know. And so going through that time and that period in your life, how, I, I just listening to that, how did you function with work and going through all of these health challenges? I mean, that just must have been beyond challenging and kids too. Like how, how did you get through the day? Yeah, not well. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in some ways I did, you know, I, it was like work got the best of me mm. because you, you had to put on the smile, you had mm. to go to it. And in a way it was great because you had something to concentrate on and it nearly took my mind off not being well and mm. then it was when I got home you know you take the work clothes off and mm. then like you actually start realizing how tired you are or how mm. um anxious you know I think the anxiety around what might happen was really bad because nobody knows because everybody's so different but to answer your question um I gave up work eventually because my career was going in an upward trajectory and my health was going in the other and I thought yeah. okay well what one do I choose here? Yeah. And I'd always been so independent. Like I'd been a single mom and bought my own property, like I was mentioning, but now this was like, I'm going to be at home and putting my hand out for money. Like this didn't happen, mm. you know? So that giving up work was really, really hard. I felt like I gave up my identity. I felt like I gave up the essence of who I was and I didn't know who I was anymore except for, this diagnosis and mm. everyone that I met, it would be, you know, the tilted head. How are you? I'd be like, oh God, there was no escaping. The sympathy. It then, yeah. yeah. And then I didn't have that financial independence, which is huge. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize how much that was going to affect me because I remember thinking in the beginning, okay, no, I'll try and convince myself that giving up work, you know, because some of my friends had decided to be stay-at-home moms and kind of pause their career. Fine, mm. brilliant. And I thought, oh my God, they must have such a nice life and meeting for coffees. And I didn't feel like that. I hate, like, and I don't want to say this because of course I love being with my kids, but it was like my diagnosis was in my face then. I, I had no escape. Mm. And I sat and ate my emotions because I didn't know what else to do. And I felt like all eyes were on me mm. because I was sick. I'd given up work. And then, mm. you know, there was one wage coming in then. And I felt this mm. weight Mm. of responsibility that like oh, I've got to make this work and I didn't know what to do and anything that I tried I well I didn't succeed then and it was like oh god I'm a failure and I felt so ashamed and embarrassed because mm. I'd maybe try a vegan diet mm. for a couple of months and I'd be cooking like really nice food for my family and then I'd be eating this and I know there's lots of really great <laughs> vegan food I do not have that repertoire in my cooking I skills either. I try um, and I'd be eating rabbit food or I'd go like to, you know, a posh shop mm -hmm. and buy like 
you know, vegan food there and it still wouldn't taste as nice as the food that, you know, we'd be used to eating regularly. So I was miserable. Yeah. And then I was getting resentful and then I didn't want to go out because then everybody else was eating something different and I didn't want to be the awkward one or ask for something different. And I also felt like I didn't have anything to contribute to a conversation. Mm. So it was like this vortex of trying to mind myself, but I wasn't. Yeah. And then trying to avoid people because I didn't want to be a downer. Yeah. Or else I didn't want to be jealous that they had their life going on still and I was suffering. So it was it was really shitty. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about as well um with being a stay-at-home parent. I think the thing that's changed a lot for women and I think the thing that we need to talk about is you know, in our parents' generations before us, it was a village. It was a community of stay-at-home parents and they all got together and they all raised children because you had, you know, back then you had um, the men were in the workforce and, you know, um, the mums were staying at home and there was a community around, mm. right? But incredibly what it is right now and then even even so much more with your illness that you were suffering during that time is lonely, deeply, deeply lonely. And you want to give all of that for your kids. And I, I have, and the reason I talk about it is I have friends reaching out all the time. I'm really struggling. You know, mm. one of them has her own health condition. She's got a baby at home. I know she's struggling. She is lonely. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to, to note that that is a normal behaviour because we're not meant to be at home on our own with two little kids day in, day out. It's hard. I know. It's hard. It drives you insane. Mm. And my, my sister has three kids under the age of five and I'm looking at her going, oh, my God, how are you doing it? <laughs> you know, and she's running her own business as well. And I'm looking, kind of, I, I don't know mm. how you could do it. It's just, it, and I don't think we. you're right in saying it, we don't talk about it enough no. because we're in our own head of, should be this way, need to be that way. And social media has a lot to answer for. Exactly. You know, portraying this Instagram mm. perfect mom who, you know, and I don't know if you've watched the Barbie movie. Yes. Like that, yeah, America Ferreira, that speech or soliloquy that she had just hit the nail on the head. We're supposed mm. to have it all mm. and not feel guilty for it, but then feel a little bit guilty for it because we shouldn't want it. I mean, it nailed it for me. I remember watching that movie and just sobbing. Yeah. Like in the cinema going, it is so hard. Yes. Yeah. And we're doomed, when you set yourself that incredibly high expectation for yourself, you just, you're doomed to fail in mm -hmm. your own mind as well. And and that's compounded by the health challenges that you had as well at the time. So mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to realise if you're feeling that way, you're not alone, yeah. you know, and it is normal, you know, but you need to get help and you need to create a community around you. And mm -hmm. so that's what I want to talk about that you've managed to do because MS for Success, I mean, you just embody for me the perfect example of somebody who's recognised what you want in your own life and what you want to create for others. So talk talk me through the podcast and your journey into MS for Success as well. Yeah, sure. So I suppose like my journey into it, I, I had spent all these years being in and out of hospital, not feeling well, having many different complications. And it got to the point where my liver count was seven times higher than it should have been. Mm. I had an acute brain infection. And they had to take me off all meds. I don't recommend anyone to do that. And just because I did it, I'm not saying that it's the solution. So I just have to earmark that. Yes. Um, and so I felt like I was up shit creek with no paddle. And it was like, oh God, what do we do? And that's the year afterwards, I ate all of my emotions and did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the ex walked out on Christmas Day. And it was like, 
Oh, okay, great. <laughs> what do we do now? Christmas Day? What's that for timing? I don't know if we're allowed to curse on this podcast, yeah, so yeah, I won't. Yeah, curse away. We're he, Australians. You're fine. He's a prick <laughs> um, but for doing that. And look, we got on okay now, but like, in, in fairness, I probably would have tried to make it work and I did try to make it work an awful lot more than I should have mm. because in my mind, I was a single mom with two kids from two different dads with no job Mm. on a disability benefit who the fuck was gonna want me mm. so i was miserable but i felt like i'd know what their choice so he gave me the best present i ever got yes i ever received i think i ever will because he gave me freedom yes and about two weeks after that i remember somebody asking me what i was grateful for and i thought huh, you how dare you ask me what I'm grateful for? <laughs> I've just been walked out on. I've got this illness, you know. Oh, Disability pension, i Christmas, yeah. But something clicked. Mm. Something clicked and I got that I was in victimhood. Mm. I was consumed with how shit my life was and that nobody had it more shit than me. Or maybe there were some others, but like poor me. And something snapped in a good way. And I thought, okay, actually, I have just been like plucked out of my own BS. I've been swimming in this for quite a while now and it's mm, time. Mm. So that day I wrote down in a journal, I still have it, that I was going to make myself happy mm. and that I was going to reverse MS and that I was going to help others feel good about themselves again. And a year almost to the day, I was back in my neurologist's office and they're watching me very, very closely at this point, like mm. MRIs every few months because I was off medication and, you know, they wanted to make sure that it wasn't progressing. And uh, he's asking me what I've been doing and I'm telling him and he's like, whatever you're doing, keep doing. And I was like, okay. I was like, what do you, wh why, why are you saying that? He goes, because all of your lesions have shrunk. It's like, have I cured myself? He goes, no, no, we don't use that word. I'm like, am I in remission? We don't use that word. I'm like, give me a word, please. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, you've had burnout. Sometimes people in their 50s or 60s, the disease naturally fizzles out and leaves the body. And you've had that now. So whatever you're doing, keep doing. And oh, my God. And actually, I have a master class on, on what I did or what I uh, see the approaches that work with me and, and all of my clients at ms2success.com. Pluggity plug plug. Oh, love and, it. We'll plug um, it. Plug it good. Yeah. But I actually have the video. The reason that I say that is I found the video that I took of myself in the car when I got out of the hospital that day and I put it in the masterclass and I didn't even know that I had it on my phone and I'm, I like tears and snots and everything on it. But I, I had made that promise to myself in a year almost to the day that happens. I, I still get a little bit like, what the hell? Like, yes. did that actually happen? And then I ended up publishing a gratitude journal because it was one of the things that I studied in brain health research yeah. uh, over the couple of years and and the power of that neuroplasticity mm. and building new neural pathways. So I published that and then the media got a hold of my story and then I started having other people contact me and say, I heard you have a cure. I'm like, I don't have a cure, <laughs> but I'll tell you what I did in the hope that it might help you. And then that turned into me having, I don't know how many phone calls a day and I'd be on to a woman in Australia for three hours and I might wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh my God, I forgot to tell her about the hydration thing or I forgot to tell her about the vitamin D thing, whatever it might be. And I was like, oh my God, I, I can't, like I was worn out, mm -hmm. you know, trying to remember everything. And give to others. Totally. Yeah. But my heart was broken because I just wanted to 
help and I and I felt like a phone call while mm. I'm kind of shooing my kids away while I'm making dinner <laughs> you know it wasn't really <laughs> maybe the most or the best way so I started running live calls on Zoom before Zoom was a thing this was like seven years ago kind of mm. thing um and then that turned into me building a program and now it's turned into 24 different countries around the world Love it. Uh, we've had people reverse foot drop we've had people you know, move from wheelchairs to canes. We've had people move from canes to no canes. I mean, it's been phenomenal. And then I started a podcast. We're actually rebranding it at the moment to the multiple, no, we're branding it to the MS to success, the multiple sclerosis podcast. Oh, that's good. Because um, yeah, it's they better. You see the connection with your program. Totally. And know where to go because you'll listen to a podcast and then you'll want more help. And totally, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. So yeah, we've we've now got like fourteen different health experts uh, around the world and growing. So we've got like a neurologist, medical doctor, functional medicine doctor, naturopathic doctor, who's a female hormone specialist. Oh, she's so good. Um, we've neurophysio, movement therapist, psychiatric nurse, mental health coach, mm. habit coach. Because you know, a lot of the time when people come to me, they're exhausted because, like me back in the day, they would have tried loads of different strategies mm. and then they don't work for whatever reason yeah and then they feel like they failed or they feel a bit ashamed or embarrassed and it's like we all need that bit of help we all need that push because you can't be expected to drive in fifth gear mm. all the time sometimes we're in reverse sometimes we're in you know gear shift number one for a couple of months because you might just have something going on or something going on in life so we've built I've built it because it's out of the pain that I had in feeling so alone and scared and not having that support between the medical system and normal daily life. Mm. There was no one there to talk to. There was no one like me, no. like normal, like the girl next door who can have a chat to you, who can curse, who can have a bit of fun, who fails, mm. who, you know, can be really open and honest and have a laugh at myself. And that's what we've done. And our client, oh my God, I love my clients. They're phenomenal. Mm. And they, they've gotten to a point where they're all helping each other out. Like we've Aww. had people go to each other's weddings in different countries. Like it's, I'm so privileged. I'm so, so privileged. It's, it's, it's phenomenal what, what my clients achieve. It is just a testament to how something that can be one of the most painful things, if not the most painful thing in your life, can, when you turn that pain into something that empowers other people. There can be no greater thing we can do for other people mm. than, than doing that. And when we stay in that pain and we don't move forward and we think, you know, that we, we think less of ourselves or think that we're not, it's not possible for us, then we're not just harming ourselves, we're harming our family, our mm. kids and all the people we could help. So I just love that story because, you know, did you ever imagine when you first started that it would be to where it is now? Um, yes, weirdly. <laughs> I, and, and I, I say this. that like, yes. I remember sitting in the hospital at one point. It was one of the times where I had a relapse and I was in the hospital again. I mean, I should have had a parking space at this point. And I remember being in there and I had this thought and I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say it. Um, I remember thinking, I am going to be a spokesperson for how to reverse this. And I'm, and I'm sitting in pajamas in like a room with maybe three or four other people. I have a curtain around me and I'm having the thought and the thought inside my head was, 
do I need to be checked into a psychiatric ward as well? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> what? Should I go to the hospital next door? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and I do remember questioning, going, no, because it was like this light in my tummy that maybe was always there, but it, would, it lit up even more. And I was like, you know what? I know I can do this and I have no idea how, but I'm going to make it happen. Mm. And so in a way, yes. Do I, you know, is my mission accomplished? No, I want to change the law. I want to change the law for when somebody is diagnosed with an autoimmune or a chronic condition, that there is a benchmark of things that have to be assessed and supported, not just medication. And by the way, medication is great. Don't get me wrong, but it's not enough and it's not the solution. I think the whole human being needs to be treated. And I think it's an absolute travesty that humans aren't being treated as a human being rather than just symptoms that they present with in hospital. So my mission has only just begun. Tell us more about that. So, Because yeah. I think I think what you're talking about would apply to other conditions as well, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm really interested. Tell tell us about what you'd like to see change. Yeah. Um, so I, I see it with clients over and over again. We, we work with six different pillars within our within our program and the first is mindset which could said another way is like mental and emotional well-being mm. the second is movement like mobility strength you know dexterity all those kind of things nutrition speaks for itself as the third self-care is the fourth and that's mm-hmm. everything from um you know breathing techniques to meditation to mm. tap it could be any multitude of things and we like to say we have like a sweet shop of different things that you can choose from because it's not one size fits all and no. something might work for someone and somebody else might be absolutely allergic to it, you know. Yes. Um, and then the fifth one is sleep. Um, the sixth one is fun. I don't talk about that outwardly, but it's really, really important that people mm. have that as well. And it's something that we talk about every week in our program. And we make a promise every week in each of those areas what we're going to, one small thing that we're going to do in each of those areas to bring ourselves forward. Because the one thing that I find, and most of the time, there's, there's a higher ratio of women to men with MS, but there's a higher ratio of women to men with chronic illness overall. I personally believe that's down to inflammation and managing stress. Mm. And, you know, I, I think women feel different levels of emotions than men. Nothing against men. But, you know, women are from Mars and or whatever the, the Venus Mars thing. And I know yes. James actually interviewed, James Whitaker interviewed oh, the, yes. the, uh, did. the um, author of that book. Um but I, I believe that when somebody is diagnosed with a chronic condition that we need to assess and support in those areas. So I believe in assessment in each of those areas and maybe even financial stress could be, you know, one around that as well, because it definitely does play a part in our relationships, communication. But I believe that there needs to be an assessment and there needs to be a support structure um, like there's no psychosocial structures really around when somebody is diagnosed with a chronic illness. Mm. And and I think that's something that we can prehab, you know, that people don't progress any further or as mm. quick, but also it supports people to stay in control of their health. It gives them back sovereignty mm. and confidence so mm. that they can keep their jobs, you know, keep their confidence, you know, keep themselves in society and ultimately relieve the medical system of the pressure that I, I'm pretty sure every medical system around the world is under pressure. Um, and I think we need to give that that confidence back in people, but we need to assess them first and then give them some kind of plan. Do you think health as well, I was thinking about this when you talk about women, I, I mean, and I'm just thinking of so many of the, the women that I deal with running businesses and um, burning the candle at both ends. Do you think we often can take our health for granted until we don't have it anymore? Yes. For sure. And I would add to that, and I see it again every single day, 
women in particular, and maybe men do this, but I just, I don't work with as many men as yeah. I do with women. Women will put themselves at the very bottom of their priority list, even when they are sick. Mm. Because there's something there. And I, like, I'll hold my hand up to this too. So I'm not like pointing the finger at my clients. <laughs> or I am a little bit, but there's four pointing back <laughs> at me back. as I'm pointing at them. Um, but it's I, I, like, I'll speak from my own, my own uh, experience with it. That when I was diagnosed with MS, I wanted to keep up this facade that I'm fine. Don't treat me differently. Don't pity me. Don't give me that sympathy. Don't give me the tilted head. Mm. So instead of actually looking after myself, my priority was making sure that nobody thought I was struggling. Yeah. All of the energy went into that and I did a bloody good job at it. However, the payoff or the downside was that I was exhausted and I spent no time looking after me but putting everybody else in front of me because there was a couple of things at play. First one was the fear of what if I did put the time and effort into myself and it didn't work and it might not because I failed at other things. So it's just easier to look after and make sure everybody else is, you know, martyrdom, complete martyrdom, but out of fear and not out of badness. And then the other thing was, you know, I I have to look after everyone else. And if I don't look after everyone else, well, then I'm bad. Mm. You know, I'm female, I'm the mother. I have to make sure everybody else is okay because if I look after me, that's really selfish. Mm. Like, Oh my God, I learned that way too late. Yeah. Way too late. And it's never too late to learn it, but it's probably the first place that I start with my clients. It's like reversing that priority list to go to the top. So yes, I believe, you know, we don't prioritize it until we're sick, but actually sometimes it still doesn't, it still doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm. Because, because at that stage you were still doing, it was more about keeping up appearances Mm -hmm. than actually being able to focus on getting well again, because you're so consumed with the energy of looking like everything's fine. Yeah. But it takes so much courage and vulnerability. And I feel like that's a word that's like bandied about a little bit too much at the moment. But like it is very, very hard to even assess effectively what help you need because it's like I should be able to do everything. And the fact that you're not is very frustrating. And so you get frustrated with yourself Mm -hmm. rather than recognizing actually I could do with a little bit of help because it's almost like admitting defeat. Yes. So it's, it's very hard to give yourself that opening to Mm. say, okay, this isn't working and actually I do need a bit of help or I do need a bit of support. And then to actually ask for it, that's a whole other level again. So, you know, there, you know, strategies, we even have some like key questions and phrases that, Mm. you know, soften that, that because first of all, it's, it's training ourselves Mm. to say, okay, I can't do it all. And actually that's not, that's not a bad thing. Um, And asking for that help doesn't mean that you're a failure or that you're not worthy or whatever it might be. So, I hope that answered your question. I know I went off on a tangent. (laughs) No, I think so many people are silently suffering as well and not asking for help. And I I had another guest before, Jen, the the previous episode, talking about asking for help and giving people the opportunity to help you because then that helps them too. It's like a ripple effect. You ask for help, you help someone, and then they see that person getting help and they feel it's okay. And I think we need to normalise that. We're not we're not islands. We can't do it alone and especially not, you know, I have a lot of friends and, and people that work in my business that are single mums mm-hmm. and it's tough. Yeah. It's tough without the additional layer of illness as well to deal with. Totally. That, that I think so often we're just so consumed with, te- it's almost like if we convince other people that we're okay, then we'll be okay. And that's just lying to ourselves. Yeah, I completely agree. There's one client that sticks out actually. Um, 
And her mom was dealing with Alzheimer's and she was her primary care, even though she had MS and she dealt with a lot of pain. And, and everyone's symptoms are very, very different to MS. Somebody might have pain, somebody have mobility issues, mm. somebody might have no symptoms at all, but they might just have fatigue. So it's, it's, it's different strokes for different folks for everyone. But this particular client, and oh, I love her, she's amazing. But she had her mom's 70th birthday coming up and there was a lot to do, you know, from cooking to yeah. even just getting, you know, cutlery ready and all these type of things, invitations. And she was getting really stressed about it. And I said, okay, do you have people constantly saying to you, let me know how I can help? She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, let's make a list of them together. So we made a list and it was about 15 people. Then we made a list of all the things that needed to happen for that day. And I was like, okay, you're going to message all of those people because she wouldn't call them, which totally fair enough. You're going to message all those people saying, hey, you know the way you're always asking me if you can help? I really appreciate it. There is something you do. Can you bring cake? Can you bring this? And whatever it might be. She said that she had the best day and party for her mom because everything was taken care of. Everybody knew that they were being a contribution coming in. So they felt really good about themselves too. And everybody was freed up. Everyone felt good. Mm. And my client had a great day as well as her mom having a great day as well. She said she was out in the back garden playing with her cousins you know, kicking a ball around, like, which is just, I love that. So we, we sometimes do it. And I still do this, by the way. So I'm not, yeah, again, same. <laughs> I still do it. So I'm not, I'm certainly not perfect at practicing these things all the time. However, I know that when I ask for help and, and when I see that with clients as well, it's a whole other level of at ease, mm. whole other level. And People wouldn't be able to see this or feel this, but you've got a really calming energy. I can just find myself just chilling in the chair, no <laughs> just <way>. sitting down. <laughs> no, and and I and I want to talk to you more about that because um, it's. I, I think energy is so hard to. It's hard to describe through the podcast, but it's felt right, like felt in a room um, with a person. And one of the things you spoke about earlier that that you spoke about was your gratitude practice mm. and and the journaling and things like that. I really want you to share more around that because I know through so much of the holistic approach to health and the research that I'd done, you'd looked into the neuro side of it as well and the way that we think, our mindset. So tell us more around the gratitude practice as well. Yeah, yeah, great. So practicing gratitude can literally change your brain and its functionality. So if you think about, you know, sometimes I explain it to my clients, if you're, you know, say you have a, a pure green field of grass and it's in a square and you're walking diagonally across that every single day it's the route to work or school or whatever it might be and you're walking up and down that path all the time and it's like okay there's the path everyone okay I'm going up and down and it's something that you're regularly doing that's a neural pathway in our brain as mm -hmm. an example when we're practicing gratitude it might be taking a different route to see the flower over there in the corner or might be going a slightly other way to see the horse in the field next to you so it's it's practicing a different pathway to be able to see other things around you. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of the retic reticular activating system? Yes, the RAS. Yes, the RAS. Yes, yes. the RAS. So we play a game called te Spot the Teslas, right? Um, because my son loves Teslas um, and we see them everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because so it's like if you buy a yeah. new car, <laughs> yeah. that's a perfect example. If you buy a new car, I have like a white Hyundai Jeepy kind of thing. And as soon as I bought it, I'm like, why is everyone else driving the same car <laughs> in the same color? Twinsies. <laughs> Everyone's got the same car. Yeah. yeah. So that's a reticular activating, uh, reticular activating system at play. So when we, it's like what you focus on, you see everywhere. Mm. So that's something that happens very regularly with people. When we focus on something like gratitude, we are priming our brain to look for more things that we're grateful for. So if you practice gratitude in the morning, your brain is primed to look out for other things to be grateful for throughout the day so that you're ready for the next day 
to practice that gratitude again. So it's changing your mindset. Mm. It's changing how you look at things. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase, and is it Wayne Dyer that said this? When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yes. yes. And it is so powerful. I distinctly remember, and actually I have it on my phone as a screen grab. I remember walking down the street because I was living in my mom's at the time, down the street to the local playground with my youngest daughter. And I stopped to smell these flowers, the same color as your shirt, ah. which is beautiful, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I remember stopping to smell them and the smell was so beautiful. And I remember being really moved by it and like really just being present. And it was at that moment that I clicked. I'm getting better. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I'm getting better. Like, I actually feel happy that I'm smelling a flower because everything was just devastation before that. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God. And then. You know, I'd be looking for other things around me then to put into my gratitude journal. But then I, I found with clients, they would have these conversations then with other people around them about things that they're grateful for. And it would be this reciprocity that conversations would change. Mm. Their outlook would change. Their friendships would change. They started noticing other people around them mm. that maybe were uh, the phrase that I, I like to use is drains and radiators. So people that would drain the life out of them mm. or people that would like lift them up and heat them up. Mm. So they started to recognize and have a different level of self-awareness as well. So it gave them this, you know, huge bonus of benefits around just the practice itself. But there's also a study done on the brain hand connection that when you write, it has a, an even stronger um, emphasis and uh, results on your levels of happiness. I think it's over 240 studies on gratitude and wellness at this point. So it's phenomenal. It's a it literally changes a our brain. Wow. Yeah. So tell me more about your own. I want. I want to. I want to talk about smelling the flower as well. One thing I've always noticed, and I'm always conscious of. Have you noticed that when you walk with your kids? You know, so often we're in a rush to get to where we want to. And we're like, hurry up, come on. Because, like, I'm always running late, like, lo logistically. That's just a thing. As And I, de <laughs> I definitely wasn't seven minutes late today. As, a, as we <laughs> shared before. But, you know, my daughter's five and she still picks up the little flowers. And I've got, like, no joke, three leaves and five flowers in my handbag over there that I have to keep and she remembers. Oh, cute. But they take the time. And at some point in our lives we stop we're so rushing to where we need to get to that we're not appreciating where we're at. And mm. that gratitude practice, I think, is so important. Yeah, it really is. I was going to, I've been busting to know as well, I was going to ask you, with your children, what has the impact been of your kids? Because I think, again, no one talks about that. Mm. The family unit, what's the impact of having, you know, your, your sole parent not being well and having their own struggles? Yeah, I mean... I don't know if it's a coincidence or not that my eldest child has gone to study nursing. <laughs> yeah. She's gone into her second year now. So I've, I, you know, she's got a really caring nature about her. Um, my youngest, Sadie, I don't think she was old enough to recognize what was going on. So I don't yeah. think she really, I don't think she really remembers it. Yeah. Uh, but my eldest, I've, I've no doubt that it's had an impact on her. She doesn't talk about it a huge amount. I'm trying to actually get her onto my podcast to interview her. Right now, though, I think I would just cry through the whole thing. So I'm not ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready that for space. that just yeah. yet. Um, but I've no doubt that it's had an effect on her. You know, I think, you know, that feeling of maybe wanting to care mm. and then, you know, it's her mom. Mm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know fully to the extent, but I've I've no doubt that it has had an impact. And I suppose in a relationship, like the relationship broke down, but again, 
it was a blessing because yes you know there was cheating and all that kind of stuff there so you know it's uh it was a good thing that that ended mm. but you know no one wants no one gets into a relationship thinking wanting or it wanting it to go that way no. you know like but yeah you know i i as mad as this sounds and, and i'm i'm reluctant in a way to say this because i i do get some heat on facebook there was one post that i had up saying ms doesn't have to be a life sentence and i get a lot of hate comments under that because I, I created this free masterclass where i talk people through because i mean i went I, I went through some dark days mm. um with it and i found a way and i found all experts to you know help me with it so it's not just me to come through that in a way mm. and you know some people will say you know if they're in a bad space you know well how dare you it is a life sentence and for them it might be but it's there's there's ways around there are ways to improve there are you know modalities and strategies and people there that are willing to help and i think when you're in that space it's quite hard to see anything else around you it's like you know you can't see the wood for the trees mm. um but i really hope i really hope that we give some inspiration or that we give some hope that it doesn't have to be that way that there are supports that are available if it's not with me there are many other people around the world that have done what i've done and offer programs and things like that as well so um I don't know if that answered your question. It did. I, I, I think I was it. trying to avoid no, uh, crying when no, I'm thinking about my daughter. Yeah, no, you did really well. <laughs> and can I say, um, nurses and teachers are two of my favourite professions in the world. The times that I have been needed at the most, I had some, some very difficult uh, first childbirth. Um, it was the nurses that held my hand, mm. um, you know, that, 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 and I remember them. I don't remember the doctors. I'm sure that they did a great job, but it was the nurses that sat with me yeah. when I was scared, when I was going to an emergency C-section, when I didn't know what was going to happen. It was a nurse that would grab your hand and never, never, never had to be asked to do it, but would do that and just care. Um, and, and I have the same respect for teachers. So I think, you know, silver lining as well as your daughter's found an amazing profession. And I just wish we had more, more nurses and teachers, you know, yeah. because it's such an important role. They don't get paid enough. Oh, totally agree, 100%. For what they do and what they bring to the world and what they bring to people's lives in people's, you know, children, our children being shaped by their education and spending all this time with these teachers and, you know, us in our most vulnerable, challenging moments, you know, it's, yeah. I agree. Mm. So with everything that you've been through and all the work that you're doing, what's the legacy you hope to leave? in the world? That's a great question. I think changing the law, mm. changing the law is the, is the mission, is the, my kind of higher empowering context um, in having people have sufficient support and scaffolding around them when diagnosed with a chronic illness. That's the yeah. legacy that I want. And, it's and for my kids to be proud. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure they will be. Yeah. I'm, com <laughs> I'm confident of that. Uh, so we're going to move into the rocket round now. And the rocket round's a bit of uh, fun, uh, just to learn a bit, little bit more about uh, you and um, what Karen likes to do on weekends and things like that. Um, so, favorite book? I would say the hundred-year-old man who climbed out the tree and then disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> I know oh, it's oh. a really wacky book, or the Four Agreements, either or. Okay, yeah, awesome. There's another. There's one other one called Chop Wood, Carry Water. It's absolutely brilliant, particularly for like business people or, or people Chop trying to carry water. Yeah. Okay. We mm -hmm. always list this. So we start to, on, on our pages and things like this, we list these books so that people can log on and, and, and either listen to them audible or download them or buy them. Yeah. Uh, favourite holiday destination? 
Oh, probably Florida for Disney with my kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, although I'm a bit burned. I've just done three days of, of, of theme parks. So, you know, talk to me <laughs> about Disney in about a week's time. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. Uh, coffee or wine? Wine. Um, <laughs> podcast that you're listening to right now? Yours, of course. Oh, thanks, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, James Whitaker's uh, oh, yeah. is just win the day. Is you know, I was listening to one of his episodes uh, a couple of days ago. I, like I was seriously jet lagged, and it just never fails to cheer me up and inspire me each and every time. So yeah, it perks you up, doesn't it? And and I used to you know listen to that podcast during COVID. Um, you know, working a business at the time, a recruitment was you know, pretty much going down the toilet, like, you know, like everybody was crying in the team meetings and it was not a nice thing. And I would just get in the pavement and listen to James's podcast. And then who would have thought a few years later, here we are, you know. I know, it's all cool. Um, and what makes you feel like you're home? Um, my kid's given me a hug. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't matter where I am, but it's like that hug just transpires everything. Love that. Yeah. How can we, thank you so much for coming on as a guest. I could honestly talk to you all afternoon. I've just loved your sharing of your journey and such a personal journey that will resonate with just so many. Tell us how we could support you and how people can learn more about your programs. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, so I suppose like I, I'm on Facebook, uh, I am Karen Dwyer, uh, Instagram, same handle. And we've also got our MS to success page. We've got the podcast. If people want, if like if there's someone that you know that has MS, we have like a free masterclass at MS success.com so ms2success.com and um, where they can watch like a 40 minute free masterclass and then if they want to book in a call they can and we'll do like a free assessment with someone and see if they're a good fit for the work that we do or not or we might give them some support in another way um how can you support me if anybody works in world health organization or somewhere that is law making or law changing like united nations something like that or government um in health related areas please, please, please contact me because I think this can benefit, you know, millions and millions of people around the world and, and let's make that law making and changing happen. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a guest. I've absolutely loved having you. Now, I do want to share your podcast, the title, what's the, the new title of your podcast so people can find it and listen yeah, to more. Yeah, thank you. It's MS to Success, the Multiple Sclerosis Podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Karen. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank it's been you. a pleasure having you. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.